Hello everyone, welcome to the MRKH podcast. Our full intro has its very own episode, so please do go check it out. For now, a little hello. I'm Ella May from Vava Womb, and this is Mind Over MRKH, a podcast for and by the people with Mayer Rokotansky Kusterhauser Syndrome. You can support the podcast and the work we do directly by heading to mindovermrkh.org. This podcast is receiving a regular sponsorship to keep us going strong from our wonderful friends and UK charity MRKH Connect. We hope you find some comfort in joining our stigma-free MRKH chats with some true MRKH warriors around the globe. You are not alone. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by the beautiful Joniva Mwathi, a woman with MRKH and the founder of MRKH Africa Foundation. Joniva grew up in Kenya, and this is a little about her life with MRKH syndrome. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by Geneva. Hi Geneva. Hi Elame, how are you today? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all good and how are you? I'm good, thank you. You're looking great as always. Oh, thank you. And we've both got very bright tops on. Geneva's got like bright yellow. I'm bright pink, so yeah, bringing the energy today. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to make it a summary. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's in the UK. Yeah. It's not. It's not that. <laughs> <laughs> so, where are you? Where are you living at the moment? Where are you in the world? I am in Maryland. I am actually in Baltimore. Yep. Oh. So that's where I am, and it has been cold for too long. I needed to get warmer. It's been. It's been really cold. Yeah, it's been oh, really, no. really cold. <laughs> it's been cold. So I, I cannot wait for spring and summer and just a hot season and just a happy mood and everything. I cannot wait. Oh, do you know what? I feel exactly the same. I can't wait to just have some sun on my face. <laughs> just like, yeah. to be fair, yeah, the sun has come out recently, but it's very deceiving because everyone's in like really big coats and scarves with like the sunshine out. So, um, so Geneva, are you right to just introduce yourself and tell the listeners a bit about yourself, if that's all right? Oh, well, I am Geneva, uh, Geneva Mwasi, that's my last name. I am from uh, Kenya, East Africa, and I am the founder of MRKH Africa Foundation. And um, I love the foundation. I love my sisters. I love what it does. And I love to see my sisters, you know, just grow into who they are and uh, grow into their MRKH. That's who I am. Oh, I love that. Um, and are you right to tell us a bit about your kind of diagnosis story where you grew up? Sure. So in Kenya, um, I guess it will be in Africa in general. We really don't speak about reproductive health. I don't know whether this is um, an African thing or it's across the world, but we really don't have that serious conversation around reproductive health. And we kind of like to set it aside for a while. But so it took a while for me to be diagnosed, but I was lucky enough to get a doctor who had seen one case of it before me, which was like five years before he saw me. And um, I remember him saying uh, the words uh, at that time, he told me malarianogenesis. And I was like, what? Do you mind repeating that? And I get 
I guess I went into research mode. I'm more of a researcher. Um, my, one of my defense mechanisms is silence and just getting lost in a world. And I went into research mode to just look at it and see what this is. But one of the things that I always tell people I will never forget uh, is when I went for my ultrasound. And um, if you've gone for an ultrasound, then you know you're always, your blood is always so full and they just wanna go through and see the screen. And there was a young, a young doctor came in and she was looking at the screen and she looked at it twice, looked at me, and she said, well, just give me a minute. And she was like, I, there's something missing. I, there's something I can't see. And she said, well, would you mind relieving yourself a bit? I guess your bladder is kind of hiding the image and um, we'll see it later. And when I walked back in, there was an older doctor, a different doctor, and it was two of them now. And I said, in my head, I just said, oh Lord, what's wrong? Because that doesn't happen. Like, And every time, and a more experienced person walks into the room, definitely something is wrong, something is different. And that was, um, the doctor just looked at it and he said, yeah, this is malarinogenesis. And he uh, he just told me, um, take the results back to your gynecologist and just let him, he will explain it to you. And that's how I was diagnosed. So they knew the condition, because I think there's a lot of stories where actually the doctors don't seem to know so did you get any insight from them as to whether they they diagnosed anyone before you or was there any kind of support immediately from your diagnosis or so the ultrasound doctors um the older doctor who came in later he just mentioned mullerian agenesis he didn't uh explain anything else he just told me go to your gynecologist mm. and I went to my gynecologist and he looked at it and he said the only other time he has seen this case, and that's the only reason he knows about it, was about five years ago. He diagnosed somebody else. And that's the only reason he knows about it. He had not seen it before. And really after that, there was no you know, follow-up like uh, counseling or there was no, how would I put it? Um, there was no structure as to what do we do next? Mm. Is there any medication we can do is there any is there anything to do like is this something we can uh work with and um the thing about this doctor is he said it's not something that is known it's not um you just won't walk into a, a doctor's office or clinic's office and say i have this most of them will look at you like what do you mean you have what do you have what what does that mean and to be to be sincere, that has happened to me. You know, every time as a woman you go to a doctor, you have a headache. But the first thing, of course, they ask you is when you when your last period. When you last your and, period, yeah. 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 <laughs> and my answer is always, I don't have any. Mm. And they always give me this look of what? But before I didn't like that, but now I say, you know what, it's my job to educate and just to let people know so that the next person who comes in after me has a better experience. So I just tell them and I, we, we forget that I came in for a headache and we just start talking about MRKH. So I was lucky. I was truly lucky to find a doctor who had seen it before. But after that, there was, there was nothing much we could do after that. So that's when I guess I went into research mode and just get to understand it and to reach out to, to find a way out, just to figure out, okay, what's going on? Is it something that will 
kill me? Is it something dangerous? Is it something that can be solved? Can I go to um, a hospital outside my country to get it resolved? But again, it's MRKH, here we are. So Geneva, have you got MRKH type one or type two? Did they like any other kind of physical um, diagnosis at all? Or was it just a reproductive element? Because I know that there's lots of different di like types of MRKH and it's so varied. And I'm learning that so much more since doing the podcast. So yeah. If... So I have, I would say I have MRKH uh, part one because mm. it's just, for me, it's just a reproductive. Um, my, I have a, I call it a golf shaped a golf-shaped uh, uterus so it's just like when it started oh. forming it just literally just formed like the you know how the uterus is formed this yeah, way yeah, yeah. It, it just formed like a just one little piece so I just like call a it a present. golf yeah <laughs> I just call it a golf Gold. I love that. I call mine my little horns because they said I've got two, <laughs> like two tiny pieces. And when I found out I had oh. horns, I was like, I love that. <laughs> obviously, after a lot of trauma. Um, yeah. So how, how was the, um, I know that, yeah, obviously the, the diagnosis is you have got valerianogenesis, you have got MRKH. So what, what did they say after that? Was there any kind of talk about dilation or what's the kind of, I guess, advice they give in, in Africa or Kenya? Because I know there's some countries that are very pro-surgery there's others that kind of like the UK for example doesn't uh, sort of I don't know doesn't encourage it not that it that needs to be encouraged but doesn't encourage surgery and talks more about dilation so how was that um, advice for you in Africa? So there was no advice like that for me right. there was no there was nothing after that the, the one thing that he said was I will need a lot of therapy I will need a lot of support who he was very honest about that. He said, this is going to be difficult and this is something that will last you a lifetime. It's not going to go away tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Uh, so he said, you will need a lot of therapy. You'll need a lot of support. You'll need a lot of love. But there was no next step after that. There was no dilation. There was no surgery. There was no, okay, now what? That was it. So all that I had to figure out for myself. And all the research and all that so yeah do you know what I'm like I don't know I feel kind of emotional that that is so many people's experiences from kind of under underrepresented backgrounds and countries where maybe they don't have the, the same support so yeah um, but kudos to you for being your own advocate to your for your own body and your own health so how did you um cope as like I guess teenage Geneva how um how did you cope as a young person with your friends and um people around you and how how was it how was your mental health and um I've stumbled my own question don't know what I was saying <laughs> how you how you coped as a teenager um so I was actually not diagnosed as a teenager I was a bit older I was um a young woman so fully diagnosed as a young woman um I think I was 23 20, oh, so I didn't ask you that. How old you were? Yeah, so oh, I, okay. I was 20, 21, 22, 23. Um, young 20s. Let's work with that. Young 20s. And it was, my mental health was terrible. I don't think I've even ever said that before. It was terrible. It was bad. I, I, I look back right now and I'm like, I survived that. I, I didn't think I would. And I, I guess that's how um, 
I'll go a bit ahead of myself, but I guess that's how MRKH was MRKH Africa was founded because I don't want anybody else to do this on their own because I was in so much, there was so much emotion and so much pain. And I guess I carried it very well on my face because every time you see me, you'll see me smiling. So it, it's very rare that you see me not smiling, but I, I'm, I think it was something that I made aware of myself that I have to go through this. It was tough. Mm -hmm. I was in so much pain. I, I look back now and I realize that you would touch my skin and I'd feel pain. Not because you're hurting me, but because I'm just, I'm just hurt. I'm heartbroken. I mean, I'm confused. I don't know what to do next. So what do I do now? That's my whole future has just been ripped out of me. Okay, now what's the backup plan? What, what is, what's next? And for a very long time, now that I realize it, I didn't even know like the concept of time and how time was moving it was really really bad and I did go to see a therapist uh and I kept going to see her for a while she she helped me through it I will give her that she really did especially the fact that she was a therapist who has never heard of MRKH has not gone through MRKH has not uh has not gone to the fertility journey so she went out of her way to you know just understand where I was and she always encouraged me she kept saying if you did not react the way you're reacting now I would be worried mm. but because you you're doing something you something is happening it means you're fighting and that's a good thing so no matter how the fight comes out it may not come out okay to the people around you. It may not even look okay for you, but you're fighting. And that's the main point. If you had shut down and just been, that would be worrisome. That would be scary. But I, I, I go back and I was broken. I was, I was broken. I have no idea how I survived that. I have no idea at all. But here I am. So. I'm so glad that you did, first of all. Me and too. I've got shivers. I've got shivers because I think it's so important that we like shine, I don't know, not shine a light because it's not very bright, but shine a light on actually how hard this diagnosis can be because we do all smile and we're all very smiley people, I've noticed. <laughs> smiley yeah. and bright and like um but yeah, yeah happy. It is, yeah, exactly. But just I just wanted to say thank you for really, really sharing your vulnerability, because I know me saying, oh, like, how is your mental health? It's quite a big question because a lot of us went through a lot when we were younger and we probably can't even explain it. But the way that you explain that through just visually and like touching your skin and just feeling totally broken. Um, yeah, thank you. Just thank you for sharing it, because not many people it's not easy to come and say I was I was broken. <laughs> um, I was but it's so nice to see you now with a smile on your face. And I know things aren't always easy still, but yeah. <laughs> it is so nice to see you out of out of that um, really horrible, like initial stage. Um, so I know you said you were diagnosed at 23, which I just learned. I just wanted to get my head around the years before that. So when you hadn't started your period, was there any kind of 
um, conversations or was there any reason that it was much later or was it mainly just when you went to look into it when you were a bit older? I did have a conversation before that, a bit uh, before that. Um, and um, I did go to see a doctor and um, I think the first time he said it might be because I was in boarding school. So I was in a different city to where my home is. My home is in Nairobi, but I was um, in um, a city called, well, it's not really a city. It's a small town or village called uh, El Bagan. And the doctor said it might be due. So he gave us three reasons. It might be due to the weather and the fact that I keep moving um, from one uh, area to the other, or it might be because of the diet, because at home you, you eat differently. So this is when you're younger. So you eat differently when you're home and differently when you school. And it also, the third reason was uh, it might have been because of my weight because I was, I'm, I'm not a small girl. So I'm, I'm a bit on the heavier side. So we, those are the three reasons that we had been given before. And when it comes to school, uh, we said, okay, so we can kind of wait it out and see once I'm out of school and see what happens. Cause then I'll have a constant, I'll be home. I'll have a constant diet. I'll have the same, um, the same as everybody is having. And, the weather change and the altitude will not have changed. So I guess um, once that happened, uh, we didn't like follow it up with any hormonal, you know, any, we didn't do any, anything after that. So, yeah. So that's when you just, yeah, realized that, and then went on to the diagnosis yeah, story. To the diagnosis, yeah. So in terms of, um, I know being partial diagnosis and a few years later, when did you start? And, and, and you said a lot of the time you were researching and looking into it. So what was the kind of first platforms or people that you stumbled across online back when you were 23? Um, and where were you learning from? Was it like charities or people? And I guess maybe we can delve into some of your diagn uh, advocacy work as well. So, um, of course, I just went into research. I would literally sit in a coffee shop and go onto Google mm. and um I remember I wrote down the name Lorena Genesis. Of course, I didn't know how to spell it. So I just wrote and played around with every name. And I just went into, uh, I was on Google and uh, Facebook. So those are the two platforms that I kept, you know, researching it. And uh, yes, when you read about anything on Google about the diagnosis, it is a scary, mm. <laughs> it, gets, it just gets scarier and scarier and scarier. Uh, but I was determined, I don't know, I don't know what was in me at that time. I have to say, it's, I don't know what it was. I guess it was, um, as my therapist said, it was just a fight. You're, 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 you want to survive and sometimes wanting to survive uh, takes you through different types of journeys. So in my research, the first, um, actually the first uh, advocacy group I would say I met or the first people I met um, first, I, I don't know how this happened. I'm not sure if I met uh, one of the ladies. I met one more lady in Kenya and I met her online. And I guess I met her under uh, the beautiful You America Hate Facebook page. Oh, or it was vice versa. I'm not sure if she's the one who introduced me or I met her on the Facebook page. And I just saw Kenya. I just saw someone write, I'm from Kenya. And I was like, wait 
there's somebody else here. And I think my world just went, I'm not crazy. I guess that's the first thing that went through my head. I'm not crazy. I'm not imagining this. This this is real. This is happening. And um, I reached out to her and she agreed to meet me. And um, I don't know whether she knows this, but I was scared to meet her because I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. It's so nerve-wracking. You're not allowed <laughs> to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. I just didn't know what to do or to say, but um, I was so grateful at the same time. I was sad for her. Like, I'm grateful to meet somebody else with America H, but again, I'm sad that it's happening to her. So you're kind of in between this world of, oh my God, I have somebody else. And oh my God, there is somebody else. But I was so grateful to meet her. And I guess she was my first meeting. And then she, we went back onto the Facebook page and we met other Kenyan girls. And at first we were, I think three or five of us just from different parts of Kenya, Nakuru, Nairobi, Eldoret, um, Kitengala. So different people, different parts of Kenya. And we would meet um, just for tea or coffee. And um, we, we spoke a lot with, of course, the beautiful MRKH uh, Facebook page team and all, all the advance behind it. And um, it was just, I just loved and I was encouraged by the support that was there. And I guess that's another reason, that's how now the foundation began because I started talking to the ladies and uh, the, uh, I can't mention the ladies for now until no, again, they can go public yeah, yeah. being that uh, it's still, they're still in Kenya and they're in Africa. So you don't want to take that away from them. Mm. And we just spoke about it and I told them, we can have our little foundation here just to, for other women to know that yes, there are other women in Africa, there are other women in Kenya, you're not alone. Um, and we don't know much about what to do next, but at least we'll have each other. That was the idea. We don't know, we're not doctors, we're not um, scientists, none of us are in research, none of us at that time was in law or anything. We were all just women with MRKH. And, it was okay that we can be there for each other. We can grow each other. We can forge a path forward together, even if we have no idea where it will take us. And in, in that moment, in those little discussions, in those meetings that we would meet for coffee and lunch and tea, MRKH Africa started to build. Simple, but you know, with just a vision to bring the women with MRKH together. And as we grew, the one thing that I had in mind is I wanted to ensure that when you're diagnosed with this, you don't feel crazy, you don't look crazy, and you're not called crazy because you are real. It is happening. And you're not just real, you have other people with you who will hold your hand through those traumatic, traumatic times where you just want the world to stop. And what we do, what we will do as American Hate Africa is we, we can't stop the world, but we will stop for you and just hold your hand and just, you know, walk with you and listen to the times where 
you just want to scream, we'll, we'll be there. And that's just mainly what America Hates Africa does. And then in the process of doing all that and just walking with the girls, of course, we joined up with everybody else from across the world and we brought in and everybody just brought in their best foot forward and they different people brought their advocacy, people brought their research, people brought their medical background and together now we're able to do different things for the girls. We've had one successful group have surgery just before I came to the US and now we're planning for another bit you know, with COVID going around, it's just one of those things we have to work around, so. Yeah. Oh, it's just so magical what you started. I feel like I was getting a tear in my eye <laughs> just through you talking, because I think, like, peer support and finding others is just so powerful over all support when it comes to friends or family or therapists. The only support that is really going to touch you and like change you is the people that get it and the people that don't fully get it because everyone's different but yeah. just just are like sisters and people that understand and I think it's so it's just amazing that you founded somewhere that is underrepresented underrepresented in, I can't speak underrepresented in uh, the charities um and just needed because I think like you said when you were diagnosed at 23 you didn't know anyone you couldn't find anyone and for you to have started that is pretty incredible um, so hats off to you, not wearing a hat, but. <laughs> um, so the MRKH Africa Foundation now, you, I'm just interested to know, so there's newly diagnosed people, obviously, every so often in Africa. Are they, do, you, do you find that they're finding you quite quickly or are you speaking to quite a lot of newly diagnosed people? Because you must be seriously changing their life for them. So they, again, they just find us online, like the power of, the internet, right? We'll say that they Beautiful find us ugly, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's it's one of those. It's a gift and a curse at the same time. It's <laughs> yeah. it works at the same time, and they all find us online because they all come from different backgrounds. They they all some of them I've never seen. You know, I've never even seen them on video. We just speak on the phone. We speak on Facebook. We speak on Messenger. And some of them find us through, uh, of course, the international foundations. They go through, they will find Global MRKH. And once they go into Global MRKH, the ladies will, you know, direct them to me if they are from um, anywhere close, close to our region. And um, in the process, we they also find the, the rest of the ladies because the, 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 the sisters in Kenya and in Africa just come together and if they see you online, they will reach out. They'll be like, hi, we do have an organization. You can talk to us. And the thing is, you're comfortable to talk to me or talk to any of the ladies that you find you kind of get connected with. Because every, like you say, everybody's journey is different. And some of you will, some of them will not connect with me directly, but they will connect to the next person. And so we are able to just find each other online. And then we talk to each other. We do have um, our Facebook page, our Facebook closed support group. and But the one where we're super active is our WhatsApp page. Oh, nice. That's where we, we're always talking. We're all because I, I think it's quicker and it's, you just, you know, it's just. And you don't have to be inside social media to be on WhatsApp. But I think exactly. <laughs> you just, you just, you know, chat on WhatsApp. And if there's anything important we need to say, we, we share it there. And that's it. We just find each other uh, through 
the internet basically that's that's where we find each other and it's always it's just always nice to meet somebody that uh, and know that um you'll do everything you can to help them get through it mm. and um i've also learned that i cannot do everything i don't have the strength to carry everybody but I also, I'm surrounded by very, very amazing women. And if I'm not able to do it, I will reach out to the next person and I'll be like, are you able to, you know, help her walk this journey? And it's always amazing to just see them. You know, they come when you're in this, uh, whenever you meet them for the first time or you meet one of your sisters for the first time and the shock and the sadness, and this is where you've been, you, you've done this and the trauma and the pain. And then you see them start glowing and just coming out and just being such amazing beings. It's, it's, just, it's just the best feeling in the world. Just to see them succeed is it's just amazing. That is what best. keeps it drive. Yeah. Just, it's so the best you, feeling. Yeah. Do you feel like um, the advocacy journey that you've been on from not having anyone to kind of supporting everyone, do you feel like that's been a big part of your healing journey as well? Yes, 100%. Sometimes when um, uh, being that this isn't up, like you say, it goes up, then it goes down. It's it's an everyday. And um, sideways and backwards. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sometimes they take you a hundred years back <laughs> and sometimes it pulls you 10,000 yeah. years ahead. It's just one of those things. And <laughs> um, one of the things that keeps me going is, and I say this all the time, it's my sisters. Mm. They keep me going. They keep me the reminder that you're not alone. You have people who understand those moments where you sit and currently one of the things that I've been going through um, is I've had a lot of fear. I think as I age and um, people around me that I 100% love and I want the best for, uh, you know, getting married, getting their kids. And you see the transition between being a teenager, a young woman, a mother, uh, a friend, uh, you know, you see it going up and I feel like I'm just here, you know, like it's just, and I've had this fear that has been haunting me like, okay, so what next? So this, is this it? Is this like the peak of the mountain for me? But, and then I, I just remember like you say, my advocacy work, it, it keeps me going. It keeps that's, saying, okay. your, that's you climbing your mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my mountain, you know? Yeah. yeah, so I remember my advocacy work and I kind of like almost snapped out of it. I'm like, wait, okay, I have a job to do. I need to do this job. I need to do the best that I can and make sure that um, the women that I, I am opening and flinging, sometimes flinging doors open for and, you know, fighting for and standing in for um they have the peak keeps going higher so and they have more options from dilation to surgery to um accessing therapy at the you know snap of a finger to um you know if they choose to go through surrogacy through adoption through like all those journeys all the steps are not just available to them they're aware that they're available to them because many times we're not aware we have that they're aware that they have that and they have somebody with them who will either have gone through the journey and walk through with them or somebody who will 
research the journey and you know just say okay so this is where we are at this is where we're headed and we're gonna be okay so yeah that you're right my advocacy work keeps me going every day well, i'm just you as a and i think there's so many of us that like society is this path of getting married and having kids and similarly to me I've got so many friends who are on that path which is amazing but at the moment we're all on different paths and everyone's on like alternative journeys in life and in work and then just themselves not everyone wants kids not everyone can have kids not everyone has a partner um so I feel like yeah your mountain is just as beautiful as your friends <laughs> going with their kids Definitely. and their houses um so I just wanted to ask around because you touched on surrogacy and um people understanding their options has MRKH Africa got much support from I don't know like medical professionals or surrogacy charities in Africa and where where are people kind of looking for that support so I'm sort of interested in what the rules and regulations are with fertility and surrogacy so it's different in every country and I'm learning so much about the global differences of like laws with surrogacy and infertility so yeah love to hear a bit more about your knowledge on that if that's all right so I'll speak mainly of Kenya because that's where I have most of the knowledge for Um, surrogacy is there is uh, people are trying, well, there are women who are fighting for a law to be passed for surrogacy and not just for surrogacy to draw the, the basically the rules and regulation of how surrogacy will be done and what follows after, you know, the, the baby is born and all that. But currently we do not have a law that um, is for surrogacy or even against because it's not something that has been there or has been presented but um being that it's not something that is really known or understood it's also shunned upon it's not really encouraged but we're getting there just one step at a time um they're they're amazing women um some of them are just political women who are really trying to make that difference in the country and we have, uh, we do have medical um, departments, and we also have um, uh, a lot of um, a lot of people in the medical field trying to make that difference. Now, is it something that will happen today or tomorrow? I don't think so. Being that uh, we are also we're still, you know, in a very religious and very culture cu- cultivated country that separating that will will be a bit hard but I guess it also needs a lot of understanding a lot of um, education around it Um, and that's where I'd say Kenya is at the moment we're just at that we're almost like we're kind of on a seesaw we're trying to see what works will it work will it be accepted Uh, also I think a lot of education needs to be put out there so people understand it because as human beings, we just fear things we don't understand. Once we have the information there, I guess we'll be able to make a clearer judgment. That's what I would say, where Kenya is right now. Um, When you speak to the other ladies from Africa, uh, you do get the impression that Africa is a very strict country because it's highly, highly culture, culture grown and also very religious it has a lot of uh different religions actually so when you put all that all that in one pot to boil over and then you're trying to bring something new 
you already have brought MLKH to the table and now you're bringing surrogacy again to the table. It, it's not easy at all. It's not easy. It's not, um, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about is MLKH Africa and the different organizations in Africa. How do we bring it to the table knowing that there will be a lot of backlash, but it is something that has to be done just for the health of the women and also the men, definitely, um, without taking away the culture and the religion that has been built and without insulting it and just, you know, just bringing everything together. It's, it's going to be hard. I don't know how many years it will take, but... Um, We'll keep doing it until we and get how, there. Yeah, no, it's, and I, like, again, it's just, it's interesting, but heartbreaking at the same time. So, and also, I've recognised so much privilege in being in the UK, obviously, and, um, and the things that we just, we sort of fight for fairer IVF on the NHS, but again, you're fighting for just them to understand IVF and for them to, do you know what I mean? It's like, right, it's, yeah. So it's, I, I totally, totally am in awe of the work that you're doing because it's, it's just incredible on top of coping and living with MRKH. Um, so what about other, because obviously we've got MRKH, but in uh, Kenya, is there other like infertility communities that you connect with that other women going through other infertility conditions that are maybe connected a bit with MRKH Africa or have you not come across... We have, we have actually one of the women uh, who sits on our board, uh, her name is Caroline, has is a different uh, type of infertility. She was able to have her first child, but then she did have um, cancer in between uh, before getting her second child. So her uterus had to be removed. So we do have different, you know, different types um, of infertility that goes on in Kenya. And we have connected with different women and when you listen to their story and you listen to also their advocacy work and what they're trying to do, you, you see exactly what we're all just trying to do. One is to be hard, to be sin. And when this two happen, then we have a change. Like we, we will have laws that will be around IVF, surrogacy. We will have insurance health insurance that will back this up. We do have um, we do have IVF clinics in Kenya, but the surrogacy bill, that is the key. Like we need the laws that will, at this point, I'm like, we either need it to be for or against. We, we just need to know where we stand so that we know, okay, so what do we do now? And each of these women, each of these organizations is saying the same thing. Hear us, we're here. We want to be seen and we not only want to be seen but we also need to be seen and we need the health sector and also the political sector to come together and create laws for this this is a health need it's a right reproductive health is a right it's in the constitution we have it in each of our constitutions so why don't we have it being actualized in real life so that we, all those women together, we're trying to do one thing. We're trying to basically just give the basic right of reproductive health. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's so true. And how about your, if you don't mind me asking about your personal journey, and I know that you said at 23 you felt really broken and a lot of MRKH is to do with fertility, and I know that there's other physical elements to it, but how are you kind of coping now with your, I guess, whole diagnosis of MRKH, fertility included, and have you ever explored anything like that? given that you're kind of an advocate for it, has, has there been anything personal that you wanted to touch on? So currently, how am I coping? And I think also, how did I cope? Um, I will say faith. My faith has been a big, big part of me being okay and saying, okay, uh, we'll take this one day at a time. We'll deal with it as it comes. And sometimes it's one minute at a time because you don't know what will happen next. So apart from the health aspect of it, where, um, of course, I followed up with doctors, done my MRIs, then, um, you know, I also did my um, hormonal tests just to check if they're balanced and everything. Um, my faith has been a very, very big part of me being okay. God has been with me every step of the way, uh, the scary steps, the crazy steps, and um, uh, I am brought up very, I am brought up in a religious setting. So um, I do come from religion. And I remember a few times, um, actually one of our close friends told me, you look, um, you look like you're losing your faith basically because of the way I was fighting. And at that moment, I didn't know what to say. But I remember saying in my head, I was like, I'm not losing my faith. The only, it's the only thing that is keeping me sane right now. It's the only thing. But now I do have an answer for that. <laughs> you know, it's like having an argument and then saying, I should have said this. But I guess I was younger. I needed to go through a bit of things to understand this, that I am grateful that I, uh, well, it looked like I was losing my faith. I am grateful that I lost um. I'm grateful that I was lost because in the process of me being lost and all that, um, I, I got to meet the author of faith, which is the greatest gift I have ever had. And it sounds crazy, but... No, it doesn't. I mean, that's, that's it. <laughs> like, it is crazy. You can't even explain it. Um, he, he has been so good. And he has been... He's the kindest person I've ever met. He, he God has been very kind to me and he was very understanding and... One of the things that I love is that he acknowledged the pain of America hate. That was, I, I, I think apart from my sisters or the people in the America hate community, he's the one person outside of that who has said, I know it's late. I know, I see it, I feel it and I am sorry, but we're gonna do it together. And for me, that was, the biggest thing and I guess that's how I I survive I keep going because of my MRKH sisters and my faith <laughs> I keep going so yeah it's so nice that you've got that because everyone's got their own personal people person yeah. faith in their life and yeah no, thank you so much for sharing that and I'm sure many other people will, will connect with that as well um so yeah I just wanted to rewind a little bit actually um, and just talk about your kind of uh, how MRKH affected. I know that you 
I did touch quite a lot on your well mental health as a young person um was there any kind of effect it had on relationships with people um sexually emotionally anything like that that you wanted to sort of talk about because I know that there are a lot of or like telling people disclosure and how you spoke to young how do you spoke to your friends the big the big word disclosure yeah <laughs> that's what I was trying to get to um so yeah anything you wanted to share about being a young person and disclosing to people especially when it came to kind of relationships or friends or anything like that well I guess after going public with America hates like it kind of just like I'm already in the news so I was oh, like, yeah. so did, you, did you do that yeah, when you were did you do that when you were 23 Geneva yeah I did that when oh. I was that young like just after being diagnosed I think one or two years after that so I kind of just it was you were like there. I'm out I'm out <laughs> <laughs> here I am this is who I am amazing are you in or out so but um I'm also very as I grow older I've become very guarded I'm very protective of my space I'm very I realize I'm very, very, I'm very protective of my space and I'm very protect, protective of my peace. I just want a peaceful environment. I want um, the people who are around me to be very peaceful. Um, that's what I would say. I'm, I'm quite guarded. I don't want uh, a disturbance of um, peace a lot. Now, I'm not talking about comfort because I don't like being in a comfort. Uh, you know, a comfortable zone because that makes you not discover and move. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about a kind of peace that uh, even when things are really bad, you 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 can almost go back to it and breathe and just um, take two steps back and think rethink. Um, so I've become very guarded about that. I've become one thing I would really appreciate, I really appreciate about the America Hate journey is I have become very aware of other people's journey. Mm. Everybody, like you said before, everybody has a mountain they're climbing and everybody has um, different ways of doing it. So um, I am less judgmental of people and the decisions and choices they have made in their lives in the past, currently, or even in the future because people are just trying to go through their days. They're just, just trying to be okay. And um, I've become very at peace with that, even with the people that I truly, truly like, I truly love and just want to, you know, they're people you just want to protect and fight for. Sometimes you, you have to let uh, people fight the way they can and if they can let you in to help them fight, you just have to follow that. Um, I'm more loving, if I may say, mm. and understanding with people. I, as guarded as I am, I I just want people to be okay and to be happy. So that is what America Hates has taught me, that everybody has something, everybody has a story. So apart from being guarded and the fact that I'm public, um, and everybody has a right to, um, if I'm in a dating experience, one of the things is not on the first date, like later on, I'll definitely tell you about America H. Mm. And the fact that um, everybody has a right to choose whether to go on this journey with you. You can't force it on them. And if somebody really wants kids and wants kids of their own, then you have to let that be. Now, I don't mean be disrespectful. Those are two different things. You will not disrespect me, but I will not take away your dream. 
I'll be fine. I've survived MRKH before. I'll call on my sisters. We'll cry overnight. We'll have a drink of wine or coffee and we'll get through it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have wine and coffee the next morning to go to work. Yeah. We'll get through it. We're okay. But um, I have a respect for the human life that I did not have before. It's everyone. I just look at people differently now. I just wish them well and just have a peaceful life. That's it. It's a lot of compassion for people. And I think generally anyone that's been through anything will, will gain that if, if they didn't have it as much before, maybe. Because I, yeah, I felt exactly the same. Um, and it's interesting you say actually with partners, boyfriends, whoever you're with, that there's that lots of, sort of Facebook posts saying, oh, um, went on a date with this guy, but he didn't accept me. But a lot of the time, so that's my computer buzzing. There's a lot of, I just want to repeat that. There's a lot of stuff on the Facebook groups about uh, young people saying they've been on a date or someone was, but like you said, if they're rude, they're just not a nice person. Sometimes they might, I don't know, not want to be with you for a certain reason. And if they don't want to be with you, you just have to let them go because they're either not worth it or they just weren't right for you. So it's, it's really good advice to sort of think that you're, you've lived MRKH, you can carry on living MRKH and you don't need that person that doesn't need you. So. You've got us to, like you said, have a drink of wine or coffee. Just give us a call. We'll do both. <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to cry out. It's all about the crying. Crying is healthy. It releases <laughs> yeah. toxins and all sorts. Um, yeah. Can I just ask you what you, how your identity as a woman was impacted by your diagnosis um, with MRKH and also what womanhood means to you? Because I know growing up, we all think womanhood is very much being pregnant, periods, and all that sort of stuff. So, how have you kind of redefined your? version of womanhood that you're living now <laughs> I uh, I did question my womanhood uh being that um culturally uh like you said a woman is having your periods carrying your child um that's what the social world is I did question that a lot a lot I did like I I went on like when I was praying that's one of the questions I kept asking so what am I like um, my woman, my a man, am I in between? Like what? Okay, so what is going on? But um, I guess in the process, especially one of the things that kind of one of the things that kind of made me accept that um, I am a woman was. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, my my headphones kind of did something there, so I didn't think they would be okay. I can hear you loud and clear, it's all good. Okay, so um, one of the things that actually helped me was getting my hormone test done. Mm. And um, it came out, of course, as uh, well, what the, what is known as a woman currently, I, I don't want to sound offensive. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, measure my words, but how have I redefined myself? I just, I would say I'm just me. Like, yes, the society has um, their rules and their regulations and everything aligned and I'm okay not to fit into it. I'm, I'm okay. I'll just tell, well, I don't fit into it. There's not much I can do about that. But 
they have the power to switch it up and say, okay, we can say a woman is this or a woman is that. I don't have the power to change my America hates diagnosis. This is it. This is what you get. So if I'm not welcome to your table, that's okay. I'll build another table. I'll make my own meals. I'll sit there. And anyone who wants to join is welcome. But I and and I won't wish you any ill. I'll wish you joy and happiness. But now I just define myself as me. I'm Joanne. I'm what else can I say? Because I can't change the societal rules currently in my position and what I am. If I could, I would I'd define a woman wider. I'd give us more and MRKH women will be identified. Every woman in the world will have a seat at the table. Yes. But because I can't do that, I'll build my own table and everybody can come sit at it and just awesome. go with it. So that's <laughs> how I define myself right now because I, I, I don't want to carry something that I cannot change. These rules were set somewhere in stone a million years ago and I can advocate for them to be changed. I can say you need to redefine a woman better, but I will not, I will not let that take away from me. I won't let it take away from who I am. I won't let it take away from the MRKH women and what they have built so hard to be. It's, I'll just say you keep the societal rules, we'll create a table for ourselves. Simple as that. Oh, I love that. And that's the thing, like, womanhood is different for every single person who is a woman and whether or, whether or not they, like you said earlier, there, there, there is a kind of, when we get hormone tests and things like that, and I know that chromosomes don't define gender, but there is a certain relief because actually we're cis women, which means that we're the gender of the bodies that we're in, even though we haven't got a womb and different biological aspects of what people define as a woman um but yeah I think yeah like for me like it takes womanhood kind of in my mind I just stop thinking about body parts and just start thinking about me as a person like you said it is you it's who you are and it's in your heart and soul and your personality and your mind and just everything about each of us is why we are a woman if we identify as a woman so yeah no thank you for sharing um I just wanted to end really on your message to the next person being diagnosed with MRKH. And I don't know if you want to focus it on a young person in Kenya, or it could just be any young person that is being diagnosed today, tomorrow, or next week. <laughs> oh, well, to the young person, this is what I'll tell you. It will be so hard. It will be. I will define it my way. I felt like somebody had gone into my soul and ripped out something and literally ran away with it. It will be so hard. It will be so painful. But um, I know this is said over and over again. You're not alone. You are definitely not alone. We will have your back. We will sit with you. What, whatever you need us to do, because we have done this. We have walked this path. We have felt that pain that you're feeling. We have screamed out loud into the pillows in the middle of the night. We have, we have done it all. 
and we will not judge you for your reactions. You will not be whatever you need to do to survive that initial trauma, do it. Do it and reach out to us wherever we will be, whatever we are doing. I will tell you this, when you reach out to an MRKH woman, we will stop what we're doing and we will reach out. We will find a way to get to you. And that's just who we are. And that's the beauty of having the, apart from just the, the foundations that are leading in different pillars, just trying to change your experience in two days, in three weeks, in 10 years, the experience of diagnosis will be very, very different from ours because that's what we're focusing on and trying to make it a difference. Apart from that, you will have us. You will have our love. You will have our fight. You will have our experience. You will have our knowledge. We'll be there for you. So as you get that diagnosis, as you get that call back from the doctors, as you sit there in that office, know this, you are definitely not alone. We will be right there with you. Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy. I've got shivers again. <laughs> it's not just because it's cold, it's genuine feelings. <laughs> no, that yeah, was such a beautiful message. And you know what? We cannot say enough, you are not alone. There's no, like, there's, like you said, there's messages that are repeatedly said, but it's because they need to be said repeatedly because it's the yeah. biggest thing, isn't it? Like, you just really are not alone. And um, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you and learning everything not everything because there's so much to learn but learning loads more about um life for people with mrkh in kenya um and yeah just wanted to say thank you really for coming on and sharing your story and your vulnerability and um, being here with me it's <laughs> so welcome thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing this this will be amazing you know that and like i said in 10 years there's somebody who will be watching a video like this because they've just been diagnosed and they will click on the link below it and they will have all this, you know, all this information, all this numbers and doctors and all those people to reach out to. So I can't Voices, wait for this. Stories, Voices, stories. Yeah, they will just have so much and we will we'll be there. So thank you so much. This is important for them to hear the stories, to hear those voices, to hear the that there are people out there who are willing to change the world for them. It's just a beautiful thing. You know, what you're doing is a beautiful thing. So, <laughs> um, but no, thank you so much, Geneva. It's been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. We will have regular new episodes, so please follow and subscribe. If you want to come for a chat, get in touch. And to everyone with MRKH, you are not alone.